Well, good morning and welcome to Grace. I'm Pastor Ryan. Today we will examine the Advent narrative as the angel Gabriel comes to greet Mary with a message of peace and purpose. The story and doctrine of the virgin birth is one that has been central in the historic Christian confession, and we will see today that it is a message of God's invasion into Mary's world and into our world. It's an invasion that invites our reflection and our response. Thanks for listening. Well, this morning we're continuing in our series through the Gospel of Luke. Uh, today's passage is one that is very familiar around this time of the year. It is the pronouncement from the angel Gabriel to the Virgin Mary. Uh, I want us to look and take an evaluation as to why did it have to go this way? Why is the virgin birth so important? Why is it, in fact, perhaps necessary for your salvation, for your atonement, and for mine? Uh, recently, a, uh, a friend here at church uh, took Micah out for a, for a fun evening to McDonald's and to the library. And when we were picking him up, she said, uh, you know something? He's just like his dad. <laughs> Not sure if that was meant uh, for good or bad, but uh, uh, for good or bad, our children, they really take on the characteristics, the qualities of their parents. I was uh, speaking to my sister about our, our holiday plans. She lives in Ohio. Um, Packers are playing the Browns today, so I'm fighting the temptation to say anything there. But. Um, she lives in Ohio, and uh, we're going to get down there and try and look at the travel plans. And the way it was looking, I was going to have to drive back through Chicago. Now, when I was younger, great, no problem. But, you know, the older I get, the more i rather drive through lower Michigan over the bridge, right? Because... Are you with me there? Who wants to drive through Chicago? And she's on the phone and she says, you sound just like dad. You sound just like dad. What, what about you? Who, who do you take after? Which of your mother or your father do you think your traits most embody that you kind of think like and have adapted your life towards? Because it's true. One, one way or another, uh, children, they end up taking on the characteristics of their parents. Uh, Jesus is unique. Jesus is unique because there's one horrible characteristic that we all share that Jesus does not share. You know, he's fully human, fully man, not partially, completely. So think of what you have to go through. That's what Jesus has to go through. And yet one primary difference. Here's a passage from Romans chapter 5. Paul says, therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man. Who was that, by the way? Adam. Adam. And death through sin, in this way, death came to all people because all sin. Well, what about Jesus? Did Jesus sin? The New Testament writers are extremely keen to recognize that one of the chief characteristics derived all the way back to the virgin birth is that Jesus is sinless, does not carry within himself the product of the flesh of the sin nature that component that you and I still carry that would cause us to want to go our own way rather than the way the Spirit would lead us to. So with that in mind, I invite you, if you have your Bibles, please open them to Luke chapter 1. Uh, this morning we're going to read verses 26 through 38 and then look at a few conclusions and two final thoughts as to how we can uh, apply God's Word into our lives today. Luke 1. 
page 1588 in the Pew Bibles. Verse 26. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son. And you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin. The angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who is said to be barren is in her sixth month. For nothing is impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. And then the angel left. It's kind of a cool story, isn't it? One that you surely have seen maybe... Uh, animated or, or pictured around this time of season, that there is the angel Gabriel come to the Virgin Mary with this message that she was not expecting. Uh, who, who knew what Mary had in plan for that evening? I, I bet it wasn't to find out you're going to be pregnant. But that's exactly what the angel comes to deliver to her. Uh, this good news. And part of what we need to do in evaluating this story is think about what if you were in Mary's shoes? Uh, what, what if this had been God's call upon you? And in fact, as a church, let's go so far as to say, what is God calling you to do? There's a few things that I want us to pay attention to as we look at this story. Uh, the first is recognizing the names that the angel declares Jesus to be called. Uh, the first is found in verse 31. He says, you will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus. Jesus is the Greek version of a Hebrew name, uh, Yeshua, or Joshua, as we call it. That, that would be what Jesus' name uh, pronounced in Hebrew would be, but it has a really cool meaning. I don't know if you know the meaning of uh, the name Joshua. It means simply, the Lord saves. How cool is that? That's what you're to call your child, the Lord saves. Uh, this coming to the Virgin Mary to be a component in fact, the key purpose for why God is speaking to her, that she will produce one who the Lord will save through. That's the first name. He has two other names. I want you to find the next one. It's found in verse 32. The angel says, he will be great and will be called son of the most high. Son of the most high. Now, this is a, a title that's going to belong to Jesus. It's not the first time, though, that a prophecy has been given about one who is related to the Most High. In fact, I'd invite you to turn just a few uh, uh, verses forward. Uh, look with me over in verse 76. 
And you will see, as we looked at yesterday, Zechariah, as he prophesies, speaking about John, in verse 76, says these words, And you, my child, will be called a, what's it say? Prophet of the Most High. What's the difference? Son of the Most High, Prophet of the Most High. You know, I I can have a job, right? I can have a profession, but I don't look like my boss sometimes, right? I, I... I, uh, you could have a, a job, you could have a career where you have to get, take orders, uh, but you don't really look like them, right? But what about a child? What's the difference between a prophet and a son? Because Jesus is here not called a prophet. In fact, if you were to go into the Middle East and talk to uh, those who follow the teachings of Muhammad, who are Muslims that follow the faith of Islam, they'll say, oh no, Jesus is not the Son of God. He's just a prophet, they, they apparently missed this passage in Luke because the angel is very specific to recognize that when you call Jesus by his title, it's not a job profession that he's after. It's a relationship that characterizes Jesus. He's not the prophet of the Most High. He's the son of the Most High. Now, God had made promises, and we heard them this morning, uh, recognizing that he will keep his word given to appoint one on the throne of David. If you were Jewish today, you would say the thing that we long for most of all is that we would have the glory restored to Israel just like it was in the days of King David. There was a promise that God gave that there would come one to be established on the throne of David forever. I want you to see that that one who God ordains, the one that God foretells here through Gabriel, is given the title Son He's a son of the Most High. And the promise given to him after this in verse 32 says, He will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. Where did he get the idea of his father David? Did you catch it in the text? It came a little bit earlier. How, in fact, is Jesus related to David? Well, if we studied this, we would see that both through Mary's line and then here specifically mentioned up in verse 27, the virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph was what? Did you see it? A descendant of David. So in fact, the angel and by God's planning is showing to be true. He indeed is the fulfillment of the promise to Israel that here is one who will rule on the throne. Now, as we get further into church history, and as the church tried to understand this, even the disciples were still confused. They were too narrow-minded, thinking that Israel's glory was only for Israel, when in fact it was not. God chose Israel to spread his message to the rest of the world. And now God works through a different agency, an institution called the church. He has equipped and appointed you to go and tell the world the good news of the birth of God's one and only Son, this Son of the Most High, so that all will hear and that all will have a chance for repentance. There's one other name, one other one I want you to see. So Jesus, Son of the Most High, and if you look down with me into verse 35, the angel said the Holy Spirit will come upon you, the power of the Most High will overshadow you, and so the Holy One to be born will be called, what's it say? Son of God. There's only one other place in Luke's gospel where the title son of God is used. I'd like you to find it. It's in chapter three. Fast forward just a few pages and we're going to get through chapter three here in a couple of weeks. 
you'll find that towards the end of chapter 3, you have all kinds of names. Um, it is listing out the sons and who their dads were all the way back to Adam. Look with me down at the very last verse in chapter 3, verse 38. The son of Enosh, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. Now, you, you may remember um, this verse that we put up here. That you and I have something that Jesus does not have by virtue of our lineage. Um, you got it from your parents. You got it by virtue of being human. And they got it from theirs. What does it say? Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man. Now, did God make sin? Not your question. God doesn't sin, nor does God make sin. But God left for the decision to obey a free choice to his creatures. That Adam and Eve were given the opportunity to obey or to rebel. And by virtue of their decision, though God foreknew it, though he had understood and planned it in eternity past, it was by virtue of their decision that they rebelled. You remember the story, right? The serpent, he doesn't go to Adam because Adam was the one talking with God. The serpent goes to Eve. Did God really say that you can't eat of anyone, right? And Eve, she's tricked, she's deceived by her own choice, recognizes that the fruit looks good and is valuable for, the text says, gaining wisdom. She believed the lie. And she ate it and handed it to her, her husband, Adam, who also ate it. And guess what happened in that moment? The world turned out the way it looks today because of sin. I would say you and I wouldn't do any different. Had you been there in the garden, you would have done the same thing. That given the choice, mankind always desires to follow its own, its own way. We'd rather do what we want to do than honor God. And because of that, because that's something that's now woven into the DNA of who you are, sin entered the world through one man and death through sin. And this way death came to all people because all sinned. But you know something? Jesus is not born of man. Jesus is not born of Adam. There's something unique, something special about Jesus in that he does not have sin. So why the virgin birth? Here's a few reasons the New Testament authors give. 2 Corinthians 5.21, Paul says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Hebrews 4.15, For we do not have a high priest incapable of sympathizing with our weakness, um, you might remember Sandy read out of Hebrews 2. Do you remember that passage that she read right here? It said that he had to be created like the children. That's us. In every way. Because you have flesh and blood. Jesus has flesh and blood. So that in every way that we are tempted, he would be as well. This is what it says. But he who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, is what? Yet without sin. Jesus has no sin. Further, Hebrews seven twenty six. Such a high priest truly meets our need. One who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. 1 Peter 2.22, Peter writes, He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. And 1 John, 5, or 1 John 3 verse 5 and this is one of the best ones John says, but you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins and in him is no sin. 
Who is Jesus the Son of? He's the Son of God. I'd like you to see something. Uh, go back to Luke 1. Well, what about Mary? This must mean, right, if sin comes through Adam, this must mean that all the women don't have sin. Ha! What do you think, women? <laughs> of course. Yeah, that's how it works. Unfortunately, if we were to read Paul's writings to Timothy, he says that Eve was the one who was deceived, and then it says, and became a sinner. So, sorry, ladies. New Testament doesn't leave you out. You, in fact, have sin as well. So what do you do with Mary? I don't know if you can recognize the trouble of this, right? Because if Jesus does come as fully human, which he has to, then he's born of Mary. But isn't Mary also a sinner? The early church in, into the uh, uh, Middle Ages, uh, as theologians started to think about this, had to come up with an answer. And the Catholic Church has an answer for this. Perhaps you have heard of the, the term, the Immaculate Conception. Have you, have you heard of that one? In that Mary, as she was conceived, was sinless. Not that Mary is different from you and I and that she's not fully human, but that Mary was given a unique grace unlike any other woman in that she does not carry the stain of sin to contribute and pass that on to Jesus. I'd be fine if that was true. It's just not what the scripture teaches. Unfortunately, Mary, though she was found in favor with God, and though she was unique among all women to carry God incarnate, an amazing treasure that none of us can fathom. You who have had children, you maybe get an idea of what that's like to produce life. But imagine the life for the whole world. Mary is special. Don't feel that I want to take away anything from Mary, but she is not any different than you and me. It is God who solves the problem. Now, commentators, they do argue over this, but I want to give you what I think is the best explanation. So look with me again in chapter 1, and I want you to see in verse 35 how God solves this problem. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. That's the component where God is going to be the agent to produce life. It's not by sexual union. It's not the old-fashioned way in which we get human beings. God, the whole, in the Holy Spirit... The text says, will come upon you. It's the next line that I think solves the Mary problem. Uh, the, the first part solves Adam, right? God's the one who's going to do the work of producing the seed of life within Mary's womb. But then it says, the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And here's what I think that means. I think whatever stain of sin that Mary carried with her was overshadowed by God. God did a miracle in the womb of Mary. Not by taking a, a sperm from a man and an egg from a woman and creating a, a new creature, but by using Mary as a vessel whereby God supernaturally placed his own son, Jesus. And I, I'm not making, I don't want you to just take my word for it. I want you to see that I believe this is what the word of God says. When it says the Holy Spirit will come upon you and then the power of the Most High will overshadow you. I, I did a lot of research on this, uh, uh, read a lot of commentaries and theologians uh, in terms of theological writings. Uh, people are kind of split on whether or not the virgin birth is necessary, whether the virgin birth matters. I say it's necessary. 
I say that without the virgin birth, we are left only with the hope that humanity can produce. Not only so. Not only so. But imagine if it wasn't done the way Mary says. Imagine it didn't happen the way the angel recounted. How did Mary get pregnant then? Think with me about the story. How did she get pregnant? If it wasn't by God's doing, if it wasn't a virgin birth, then Mary somehow is, I think, being deceitful about where this whole account comes from. It either happened one of two ways. Either some, and some people have put theories together about this, that there was some Roman fellow that kind of had her way with Mary, and that's where Jesus came from, against her will, or Mary by herself as a young woman was promiscuous. And outside of her pledge to Joseph, had, had an affair, fornication, to, to find a child. That's what we have, folks. If the virgin birth is not true, that's what we're left with. Not only that, but the word of God becomes falsified, both in Matthew's account and Luke's account. So for anyone who would say that the virgin birth is not necessary, I would stand to correct them. That it is an essential component of our faith. This isn't just this pastor thinking this as well. Because the early church understood this from long ago. That when we are going to confess what it means to be a Christian. And we did a part of that this morning, right? Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Ghost. Well, there's another creed the church held on to tightly. I believe in God the Father Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth. And I believe in Jesus Christ. His only begotten Son, who is conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. Do you see that it's woven into the ancient creed by which Christians would, upon their baptism or their entrance into the church, must confess this? It's a miracle. It's a miracle. The angel gives three names. Jesus, which means the Lord saves. Son of the Most High, which is held in contrast to John the Baptist's title. Remember, he was a prophet of the Most High. Jesus is a son, which means that the promise of David's throne rests on a relationship between God and his son, not on a job title. And then lastly here, it says that he is, in verse 35, the son of God. You might additionally recognize um, that the angel says he is a holy one. See that? He's a holy one. I'm sorry, but the only way he could become a holy one set apart is if Mary's stain of sin doesn't touch him and Joseph's stain of sin doesn't touch him. Jesus has no sin. He has no sin. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Almighty, the power of God will overshadow you. There's one other place I want us to look at before we conclude. And if you will, go with me to the book of Romans chapter 5. Turn just a few pages further in your New Testament. Because there is that one key identifying mark that makes us different than Jesus. We all have sin and Jesus doesn't. We all get it through Adam. Jesus doesn't. Romans chapter 5. Let's continue where we started from verse 12. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, and in this way death came to all men, because all sinned. For before the law was given, sin was in the world, but sin was not taken into account where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, which is when the law was given. So 
Just because there is no sin written, uh, a law written on the books that you can break, doesn't mean you're not guilty. How do we know that you're guilty of sin? Because guess what? You die. And from Adam till Moses, even though there was no written law, people were still what? They were still dying, which means they're guilty of sin. Even over a time, uh, those did not sin by breaking a commandment, as did Adam, who was a pattern of the one to come. Verse 15, this is where I want you to look. But the gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died, that's the problem with the trespass, right? Everybody now dies. But if the many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace and gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? You see what happened? With Adam, all died. But in Christ, all now have opportunity for life. One came through one man that was called God's son, right? The son of God. Do you remember that? Luke chapter 3? Where where did Adam come from? He was the son of God. Miraculously created by the hands of God in the Garden of Eden. And Adam, though he was created without any sin, he did sin. There's another who is called the Son of God, and his name is Jesus, who was miraculously created by the hands of God, but now placed into the mother, into Mary, also without sin. And Jesus is called the Son of God. All right, a few things that I'd like us uh, to conclude with. Uh, Because of the virgin birth, number one, Jesus can save his people from their sins. You remember what Jesus means? The Lord will will save? Yeah, this is what it says in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 21. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. Same thing Luke writes. But then Matthew records this. Because he will save his people from their sins. So if we just translate Yeshua, right, the name Joshua or Jesus in Greek... For what it means, it would read like this. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name the Lord will save. Because he will save his people from their sins. So first of all, because of the virgin birth, Jesus can save his people from their sins. Number two, Jesus is the Messiah who will reign forever. When he is given the title after the name Jesus, he is called the Son of the Most High That particular relationship follows with this promise. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. Which means that Jesus is the anointed one. Which is what a Messiah means. A Messiah, as it comes into the New Testament, takes on the title Christ. Which is why we call Jesus, Jesus Christ. It wasn't his last name. It's not, you know, Mary Christ and Joseph Christ and Jesus Christ. Uh, no, Jesus as Christ is a title. And it's this word here. It's Messiah. Well, how can that be? What, what, what gives them the right to call Jesus the Christ? It's because he is born of a virgin. It's because that one is given the title now, Son of the Most High. And the promise to that one is that he will reign as the Messiah on the throne of David forever. Number three, Jesus carries his Father's divine nature. Not only is he... Uh, from the Most High, but He is the Son of the Most High. 
this ought to be contrasted with how uh, John the Baptist's title shows up. Because John the Baptist is also from the Most High, correct? But is he a son? No, what was he? Remember, John the Baptist was a prophet. So there's a difference there, which means because of the virgin birth, Jesus will carry his father's divine nature. There's another creed. We uh, kind of hinted at the Apostles' Creed. There's one called the Nicene Creed. And it says very similarly, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, the maker of the heavens and the earth. And then it says this, very specific to help the church understand who Jesus is. And I believe in Jesus Christ, the eternally begotten Son of God, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, and of the same or of one substance with the Father. Jesus is fully God. As much as God the Father is God, Jesus is God. Not two gods, but one God sharing in two persons. Now, how we understand that? You know what? It's tough. And that's part of the mystery of who God is. And rather than explain it, because there's a danger in any congregation that has tried to explain this has turned into a cult. So rather than do that, we simply confess it. This is what we believe. But this is where it comes from. It comes from the virgin birth. He carries his divine nature. Fourthly, Jesus is fully God and fully man. Uh, the word here for this is hypostatic union. I didn't write that up here, but uh, you could, if you want to research that a little bit more on your own. That means that the two natures stand together. Jesus has the nature of God, and he has the nature of man. Well, how can that be? It's because he's born of Mary. Well, does he have sin? No, well, we've already clearly seen he doesn't have sin, neither from Joseph or from Mary. Why? Because the text says the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the Almighty will, what's it say? overshadow you. So he carries the nature of humanity because he's born of Mary, but he carries the fully nature of full nature of God as well. Number five, Jesus is without sin. Uh, this is found in verse 35, right? Right after it says he will overshadow you, the angel says, so the Holy One. You couldn't call Jesus the Holy One if he had sin. Because of the virgin birth, Jesus is without sin. Number six, Jesus is just like his father because he's called what? The son of the son of God. Um, I would uh, I'd like you to put your attention here to John chapter five. Listen, as Jesus says these words and John records that Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing. Right, where, where did I learn to pick my nose? <laughs> Yeah, watching my dad, right? That's, a, that's where you get it from. Where'd I learn to work a chainsaw? From my dad. Where'd I learn to change a tire? From my dad. I'm not saying anything different than what Jesus is saying, except the nose picking part. But that's what it says. He can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing. Because whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him all he does. Yes, he will show him even greater works than these so that you will be amazed. For just as the father raises the dead and gives them life, so even so the son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. Moreover, the father judges no one but has entrusted all judgment to the son. That all may honor the son just as they honor the father. Who does not honor the son does not honor the father who sent him. Do you see it? Are you, are you catching it? The reason why the virgin birth is so important, the reason why we're spending a whole Sunday morning looking on this, is this sixth reason. Jesus is just like his father. 
And then lastly, and this is the place that I want to springboard from to, to, to close our time together. Because of the virgin birth, nothing is impossible for God. Did you see that in verse 37? You need to underline it in your Bible. I don't know what you're facing today, but it might feel impossible. Hey, look here. If God can produce life within sinful people, that it's not like the trespass that came from the one man Adam, but it's, it's still from the one man Jesus to overflow life to the many. The opportunity to redeem mankind. You know what? If God can do this work here, what do you face that's bigger than that? Nothing's impossible, church. Say that. Nothing is impossible for God. All right, I just have a few concluding thoughts. Uh, The Bible says in 1 John 3, How great is the love of the Father. He's lavished on us that we should be called children of God. That's you today. You're a child of God. Jesus was God's son. The Bible's going to say that by virtue of the spirit that has come to live within us, he has many brothers and sisters. That's us. We are God's children. We are part of his family. If that is true, here's the question. How are you being made to look like your heavenly father? There's a passage that shows up twice in our 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 New Testament, it says, be perfect for your heavenly Father is perfect. So how are you doing on perfection today? Anybody? Any hands raised? Yeah. No, I want you to understand the difference here because you can't misinterpret that verse. It doesn't say be perfect just as the Father is perfect because you can't do that. Instead, it's showing you something to aim for. It's showing you a place to walk towards. You and I need to pursue Christ-likeness because God is perfect. You'll never, you'll never do it on your own. But that's what we aim for. So there's the question still hanging on the screen. How are you being made to look like your Heavenly Father? And then one other question. Uh, this has to do with Mary. But God has purposed in choosing Mary to carry Jesus. But it required sacrifice and a giving up of Mary's expectations for her life. What if that was you? Um... Well, for ladies, right? Do you remember the story of when God came to Moses and Moses says, just choose someone else. Just choose someone else, not me. Did Mary say that? Look in your Bibles. Look at verse 38. What's it say? I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. So this is my question to you. I'm going to leave it here. How much of your life Are you willing to let God invade? Nobody on earth has ever been invaded more than Mary. I think we could agree on that, right? And her answer was, I am the Lord's servant. May it be unto me as you have said. How about you? How much of your life are you willing to let God meddle with? Look, the game starts soon. What if I keep preaching? Are you okay with that? What what if the word of God continues? That's going to invade your life a little bit, right? Uh, What if the Spirit says, you know what, this idea of a grace excursion to give a gift to somebody? What if the Spirit puts on your heart that one person that you just don't get along with, right? What if that's what God says to you? Are are you going to say, nah, choose someone else. But what if God wants to bring reconciliation between you and them, either a neighbor or maybe somebody who's seated right here today, that you would sacrifice your own gift that you want to buy for yourself to give to them? What if God wants to do that? Because that's an invasion in your life. That's my question to you. How much are you willing to let God invade your life? He wants it. He wants all of it. 
I pray that we can see a, a lesson from Mary and her response. That we would place all of our confidence in God's ability to solve the problem of our sin by doing the impossible. And that he would help us to continue to trust him to do even more greater things. Let's pray this morning.